0: Our theme truly free was drawn from John chapter 8 and in it we're probably all at least marginally familiar with the verse Jesus says if you hold to my teaching then you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and I think for for many of us we're we're more familiar with the the latter half of that verse in fact even non-christians sometimes quote it you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free but what Jesus is talking about is not a truth that's reducible to facts. He's not saying if you just have this mental awareness of facts, then you'll be free. Now, certainly there's, that, that's, there's an aspect of that that is true. But what he's saying is we know the truth when we're following him when we're abiding in his word, when we're holding to his teaching. And so scripture puts forth a definition of knowledge. It's a lot less about our brains and a lot more about our actions. Um, And so that's what we talked about with um, our students this week at camp. And one night uh, when I was speaking, I, I started with the question, do you sometimes doubt whether God really wants you to be free. And I think for um, today's younger generation, that's a very relevant question. Because a lot of the time, uh, Christianity seems like it's a bunch of rules. How, how can Jesus be leading us to freedom when there's so much that is restricted? And even for those of us um, in my generation or or older generations, it's still probably um, something we ask ourselves. If we haven't experienced God's deliverance in a really powerful way, we're probably sometimes wondering, does God really want me to be free? Maybe that, that reason isn't so much philosophical, it, maybe it's more experiential. Maybe there's something we've faced throughout our lives hoping for freedom from it, and we don't seem to be experiencing that freedom. And so the question I have for you is do you sometimes doubt whether God really wants you to be free? And what I would say is, God does want you to be free. The first three words that we know God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden are the words, you are free. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. That freedom, the freedom to eat of any tree in the garden, would be lost when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't give that command in the garden to restrict their freedom, but rather to protect it. And so often, I I think I fall for it too. We look at the restrictions, we look at the commands in Scripture, and we think that they're restrictions on our freedom. But they're intended to safeguard it, to protect it, to make sure that it continues to be freedom that we're able to experience. We were made to be free. But sin has twisted our definition of freedom and what we think freedom is for. That's why uh, our culture today has a definition of freedom that's so different from the definition given in Scripture. That's why when we're reading uh, in the Psalms and um, one of the psalmists says, I will run in the path of your commands, for you set my heart free. It just doesn't make sense to us. Why would we run in the path of a command, something that seems to restrict freedom? I thought freedom was, was absence from, of commands. And that's not the kind of freedom that scripture is talking about. What I would say is, if God is who he says he is, then he is the only being in existence ever who knows what true and perfect freedom is. Think about that for a minute. If God really is God, if God really is who he says he is, he's the only being that knows experientially what freedom is. God's the perfectly free one. Nothing conditions God. Rather, God conditions everything else. And so if we want to be free, if we want to experience freedom, we have to take our definition of freedom from God, the only one who really knows what it is. And a God who delights to share that freedom with us. Freedom is for something. So often we talk about freedom as though it's freedom from something. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from sin. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from um, injustice. And it is that, but it's so much more than that. Scripture tells us that freedom is for something. And what I'm going to say is that what we have been freed for, what we have been set free for, is so much greater than what we've been set free from. There's a lot that we can thank God we've been set free from. We look at the brokenness in the world, and we realize that sin has not only a punishment, a consequence, but it has a power. And what Jesus tells us is His work has set us free from both of those things. We're set free from the punishment, the consequences of our sin, but we're also set free now from its power. Freedom isn't just freedom from paying the price. It's freedom from sin itself. It's freedom from doing the things that lead to death. And we think about how immense the punishment and power of sin is and what the Bible says is that what we've been set free for is even greater. There's a purpose for our freedom. So in John um, chapter 8, Jesus is having a conversation with the Jewish leaders, and he says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that those are words that did not make sense to his audience. They should have, but they didn't. They responded, they said, wait a minute, we are children of Abraham. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? And if you know your history, you'll immediately spot their, their foolishness, their ignorance, because the, the Jewish people were almost always slaves. They were slaves of Egypt, they are slaves of Babylon. And even when Jesus spoke these words, they were technically slaves of the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish leaders are acting in really utter ignorance to claim that they're not slaves. Their whole history has been one of slavery. They say they're, they're Abraham's descendants. They've never been slaves of anyone. And Jesus says, no, whoever sins is a slave to sin. And we all know that kind of slavery. And that's why Jesus came. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus' disciple is is urging this church, he's writing this letter to, to imitate Christ, to understand what Jesus has done. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles "...to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right." For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Then he addresses slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter is making a radical claim here. He says, live as free people. And in the same breath, he says, Live as God's slaves. Peter's putting forth a definition of freedom that seems like it can't exist, as if being free means being enslaved. And he can do this because he knows the example of Jesus, and he knows that being God's slave is the only place that true freedom is found. Just like Adam and Eve were only free while they remained in the garden while they remained doing the will of God that they should eat of any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says to them, that's what real freedom is. Otherwise, it's not real freedom. Otherwise, it's using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, which itself enslaves Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And he can say this because he saw Jesus do it. The Apostle Paul writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of Of a servant, of a slave. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, again, the one being in the universe who knows what it is to be free, perfectly and truly free, said, I'm not going to hold on to it. I have freedom, but freedom doesn't have me. And we we live in a world where freedom often enslaves us because it's the wrong kind of freedom. And Jesus says, freedom is good. He knows it because he's God. And yet he says, I can set it aside. I can become a slave. Why? So that we might be set free. And in this passage, Peter says, To this you are called. He's talking about suffering for doing good. He says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And Jesus' example is unique. I would say there's no other example like it in history. Not only in terms of what it was and how amazing and immense it was, but what it did. Because there's no other example that empowers you to follow simply by setting the example. If I'm up here and I were to do a backflip and say, okay, repeat after me. The fact that I did a backflip up here as an example for you all would not, I can't do a backflip, would not equip you to do a backflip. Jesus, what, Paul, what Peter's saying here is that Jesus' example suffering for us makes it possible for us to suffer freely as well. Because in the very moment that Jesus was on the cross, the very moment that Jesus stood before Pilate in chains, when he looked least free, he looked most enslaved, most captive, he was still God. He was still free. He was free to come off of that cross, but he was also free to remain on that cross. He held God's power, but he was not held by God's power. If he was captivated by God's power, I think Jesus would have brought himself down from that cross in a moment. But he didn't. He chose to suffer for you and for me. Because when he looks at us, when he looks at me, he sees someone who's not free. When I was born, Jesus saw someone who was not free. And he said, in order to set Luke free from all the very real things that he experiences, the very real things that hold him captive, I have to become a slave. And so Peter puts forth this example to us as what it means to be free. And it starts with the word, submit. Those are not It's not a word that we like to hear today. Submission is not a word that we like to hear today. And we certainly don't think of freedom when we hear the word submission. And yet he starts with the word submit. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, thinking about everything that Jesus has done, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who carry his authority. Those authorities, those human authorities, were not worthy authorities. A lot, I mean, if you know Roman history... Several of the emperors were not only very cruel and ungodly men, but sometimes they were literally insane. And Peter says, submit yourselves to them. Not because you're a doormat, but because you've been given freedom. And freedom actually sometimes means that you willingly and voluntarily submit yourself to someone. That's the kind of freedom, that's the kind of submission that changes the world. If you submit because you've done something wrong, that's not going to change the world. But if, like Jesus, you suffer when you've done nothing wrong, that's commendable before God and it changes the world. That's what true freedom is. We are truly free to follow Jesus' example. And we do that by serving God. And I I use the, the phrase serving God in a broad sense. Not just putting God, um, doing the things that God says are good, God says are good, but it's more about who am I living for? Am I living for myself, or am I living the way that God says is good? Because if I live for myself, what, what Peter calls sinful desires, he says those wage war against your soul. You may think that you're, you're living freely. You may think that you're self-actualizing, doing whatever you want, but really that's not freedom, that's captivity, because those things are waging war against your soul. He says, don't, I've said it before, he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, live as God's slave, because if you use your freedom to do whatever you want, it will not lead to freedom. It's going to lead to captivity. Instead, live as God's slave. That's what true freedom is. Second, we can use our freedom to serve others. That's why he says, submit yourselves to every human authority. That's why he says, show respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Everyone means everyone. He starts by saying, love the family of believers. If we cannot love each other, and I don't just mean those of us in this room, I mean the church, we cannot bear witness to the world of the love that Christ has for us. If we can't love each other, no one will see Jesus' love in action. They may know that some man died on a cross in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but if we can't live that love out in our daily lives, at least for each other, It will not be credible to a broken world. But Peter goes beyond that. He says, don't just love the family of believers. Don't just fear God, but honor the emperor. Give honor to someone who does not deserve it because you fear God, who has given that man the authority. If we cannot honor those in charge, and I'm not just talking about Peter's audience, I'm talking about us, if we cannot honor the authorities in our lives, no matter how foolish or wicked they may be, we're not honoring God. Finally, he says, we're truly free to do what is good. And I don't know about you, but growing up, hearing, hearing those phrases, do good, do good works, it, it always seemed like a burden. And what Peter is talking about is not a burden. He's not saying, do good things. Do hard things. He's saying, do things that are truly good. Because when we do what is good, we're walking in freedom. We're free for a purpose. And that is what is good. In verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans, among the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The church at this time was the most, I would say, potentially the most slandered a church of Christ has ever been. They were accused of horrible things, including cannibalism, incest, and other things. They knew what it was like to be accused of doing wrong. And what Peter says is, you can't prove them wrong about those things on on their own. There's nothing you could say or do that would convince someone that it's not cannibalism. If they've already made up their mind that what you're doing is this horrible thing, they're going to accuse you of it. They're going to slander you of it. The world is just like that. But, he says, what you can do, what you can control, what you are free to do, is good deeds so that they can glorify God when he visits us. You can't control what people say about the things you do when they're not around the things you do in secret. You can control what they say about the things they see you do. They can see your good works. And if you are putting other people first in your lives, eventually they're not going to pay as much attention to all the things they have in their mind about the bad (laughs) things you might have done. They're going to be seeing people that love others, people that care about others, people that care about people that no one else cares about. The church at this time gained a reputation for caring for people that the Roman Empire, the Roman culture, said were worthless. There's a, an emperor that actually went on record saying, you know what, I don't get this Jesus stuff, but his followers care about Roman citizens that Rome does not care about. They take better care of us than we do ourselves. That's the kind of freedom. That's the kind of love that will change the world. In verse 15, he says, For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. They don't know what they're talking about. And Jesus modeled this for Peter. Jesus, when he was at the moment of crucifixion, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus didn't complain or make threats he didn't say, hey, when I, when I come back from the dead, I'm going to come after you. He suffered silently, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Peter's looking at the example of Jesus, and he says that that example is not only the way we should live, but it's the way that we can live. It not only shows us how to live, but it makes it possible for us to live that way. Jesus' death gives us the power to live as he lived. In Hebrews chapter 2, it's talking about the supremacy of Christ and how Jesus is not only greater than angels, but he doesn't come to serve angels. He comes to serve Abraham's descendants. In verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons to glory... It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, since the brothers have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Get this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. The author of Hebrews is making a radical claim about what slavery is. It's not what we think it is. He says that we're held in slavery By our fear of death. And that Jesus ultimately came to free us from the fear of death. We may think that Jesus came to free us from other things, which he has. But the author of Hebrews says it's the fear of death. He came that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, the things that keep us enslaved, the reason that we're captured by sin, the reason that we don't experience the freedom to do the things God made us to do, it's the fear of death. Because when I do what God created me to do, that means part of me has to die. And that's scary. That's why when I'm faced with those decisions on the daily, I don't always go through with it. Because sometimes that cost just seems like too great a price to pay. In verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2, that Jesus, because he was obedient to death, obedient, not a word we often associate with freedom, obedient to death, even death on a cross, that's why he was exalted to the highest place. That's why he was given the name that's above every name. That's why at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, who was made like a slave, but he's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's a concept that the Jewish leaders in John 8 couldn't wrap their minds around. When Jesus said that whoever follows me will not taste death, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was demon-possessed. Everyone dies. But what Jesus was doing was experiencing the very thing that we're most afraid of, subjecting himself to the slavery that conditions every part of our lives. And he came through on the other side. Now, it wasn't like Jesus just said, hey guys, I found a way to the other side. It's not as scary as you think it is. Trust me, death is as scary as we think it is. Without Jesus. He didn't just find a way to the other side, he became the way to the other side. And so, when I am faced, when we are faced, with those choices. Am I gonna do what is good? Am I gonna do what God says is freedom? Am I gonna do God's will or am I gonna do my will, what I want, what comes naturally? And we're faced with that fear of death. The reason that we can be free from it is not because death is not as bad as we think it is. It's because Jesus is greater. It's because Jesus has made a way through it. And he promises us That when we follow him through that, we will receive the inheritance that he received. That we'll get to participate in his glory if we're willing to participate in his suffering. So this doesn't sound like the freedom that we know, that our culture presents to us. It's not doing whatever comes naturally. It's not self-actualization. It's not doing what... feels right in the moment, it's doing God's will, which is what we were made to do. That's why we can say that freedom is for a purpose. We're not just free from certain things, whether that's oppression or sin or whatever. We're free for a purpose. We're free to become the kind of people, kind of creatures that God made us to be. And I can promise you that that is a beautiful thing when people are walking in that way of life. I want to close with just a picture. Jesus, who became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's a beautiful picture. Jesus glorified by living, not a life of freedom the way we define it, but a life of voluntarily and freely giving his life. Leading to flourishing for each one of us. That's beauty. That's the kind of freedom that changes the world. And so when we're faced with those decisions each day, am I going to live the way I think is free? Or am I going to walk in what God says is free because he knows it? That's what's going to lead not only for our own flourishing, for our own joy, for our own benefit, but it's going to lead to the flourishing and benefit of others. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you that it's not just an example. You didn't just put your life on display as an exhibit. You weren't just the only person that got it right, and the rest of us are doomed to fail again and again. But you made a way. Your example became the way for us to live in freedom. God, you have set us free from our fear of death. We don't have to worry about what's on the other side because you've said, I've made it through. I've prepared a place for you. And that's true every day. That's true when I say, no, Jesus is better. I'm going to do his will. I'm going to die to myself in this moment. And it's also true over the course of our lives that we don't have to be afraid of death at the end of our lives. We don't have to be afraid, even if following you means giving up our life physically and sacrificially. We don't have to be afraid of death. The one who holds the power of death no longer holds that power. You hold that power. And we can trust you and we can go to you knowing that you were tempted in every way that we are. And yet, you were without sin. And because of that, not only are you able to be the perfect sacrifice for us, but you're also able to sympathize with our weakness. You also know the pressure and the power of sin. And you're not ashamed to call us brothers. You became a slave so that we might be free. So Jesus, we want to give you our thanks, not just in these few moments that we're singing, but with our lives. We want to walk in the freedom that you secured for us. So God, help us as we look to your word each day, remind us of what we've been given. Remind us that you want us to be free. That that was your plan for us in the beginning and it's your plan for us in the end. And that freedom is ours through you. Help us To live in it. It may not look like the kind of freedom we want. It may not look like the kind of freedom we signed up for. We cannot use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. But instead, living as free people means living as your slaves. And we trust that you are the good master. The one who takes care of us. The one who says, this is the way. Walk in it the one whose commands are not burdensome, the one who knows what freedom is and knows what life is, the one who is life itself. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty and precious name.